Welcome to Live Action Star Wars. I'm James. I'm Ralph. And today we have a very special bonus episode for you. Uh, we were going to release this as a data link one, but this is just going to be a regular episode now. Um, we normally do these live, as you know, but today we have got with us a very special guest. Uh, we've got Mr. Gary Witter joining us today. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Gary. Doing how are great. you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I, this is a, uh, I've done many of the Star Wars podcasts uh, over the years, and I've got to got to know a bunch of those guys, and I, it's I, I love all of them. But I think this is my first time doing this one, so I've, I've added another one to the right. collection. It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, it we've is. been trying to get it scheduled for a little while, but you've been busy with a book coming out, so we want. Yeah, to know, I'm very. Mer- I'll only talk to you if I've got something to shamelessly promote. So <laughs> here I am, <laughs> true professional. So let me ask you this, and we 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 haven't brought this up yet. Um, uh, you've been on many Star Wars podcasts. Have any of them talked to you about Animal Crossing? Um, I think so. I mean, it's a, yeah, I think at the time when I was first doing them and, at, and the, the talk show that I did based in Animal Crossing was still a thing. I did that back in 2020. Yeah. I, I imagine it's it's come up. We mostly talk about Star Wars, obviously, because that's what Star Wars podcasts are for. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I have a tendency to meander and go off on tangents. So whether they ask about it or not, like a lot of a lot of non-Star Wars stuff. Why did you, did you have something you specifically wanted to ask me about that? I mean, no. It's just for me uh, during lockdown, um, I was put on furlough, and then I was just unemployed while while everything was shut down. Uh, my wife works from home, and so I would sit on the couch while she worked and work on my island. And so I just became obsessed with this game that uh, I wouldn't have otherwise. And so I sort of fell steep into Animal Crossing, watching your show. And then uh, I started making Star Wars characters. I started making outfits that people can use uh, uh, for like literally any character you think of. Like if you want to wear a Dodonna jacket, uh, you can wear a Dodonna jacket in Animal Crossing, thanks to me. Yeah, I think at this point, there's probably so many different (laughs) fandoms that have done that with the custom outfits no I, I i never get tired of hearing about it as you mentioned animal crossing came out during the pandemic like right in the dog days of the pandemic as well yeah. it was like oh my god how long are we going to be stuck in our homes and it was my kid was homeschooled we were just talking about the other day. it was miserable right it seems like a million years right. away now and COVID is obviously still going on mm. but it's not what it was when we were all like really locked down and i remember like i i live with my wife and at the time my my daughter now we have two uh, but at the time, it's like, it doesn't matter how much you love each other. If you are cooped up together 24 <laughs> seven, you will start to get on each other's nerves and, you know, yeah. starting to snip at each other a little bit and you start to go a bit stir crazy. What I remember was that Animal Crossing came into the house um, and the mood <laughs> in the house just kind of lifted immediately. Everyone started making yeah. their islands and it really did end up having kind of a cultural moment. Animal Crossing was kind of one of the games, if not the game. They the locked out on that release window so oh, Yeah, well. and, and I don't was... think it was delayed. That wasn't originally yeah. the release date. They they delayed it. I don't know, maybe Nintendo knew something that we didn't, but they, <laughs> they released it at exactly the right moment. Um, and it did it did become kind of a cultural thing. The mainstream media gone onto it, celebrities were playing it. Mm. Um, and it was it really was exactly the antidote that we needed. Again, we were cooped up, we were miserable, life totally sucked. Um and it it's was just a small know, bit of Trump joy. president, like it was just yeah. awful all around. And um, and that game just was it was like basically forget about all that. Come live on a on a lovely kind of tropical cartoon island where everyone is your friend, and maybe the worst thing that can happen to you is you get stung by a wasp. And that was like just what <laughs> just what we needed, right? You don't have to do anything. 
you know, it's not, it's not like even a game in the traditional sense. Just hang out, make friends, grow turnips, just chill. And it was just exactly what people needed. And I was playing it a lot for that reason. And as you mentioned, I, I was goofing around on Twitch, playing, playing the game on Twitch. And there's a longer version of this story, but we'll, we, we want to get to the, the <laughs> yeah. Star Wars and other stuff. Um, I ended up building like a talk show set in the basement of my, of my house. And we started doing a late night, a live late night talk show that was set inside Animal Crossing called Animal Talking. And it started off just like me hanging out with my friends. As I recall, the second show was literally on the couch. I was the host and on the couch was just like my wife and her friend. Like it was just hanging out with people. But then it started to Twitch put it on their front page because they thought that we were doing something innovative. Um, And the next thing you know, like we had real celebrity publicists calling me up. Because you have to remember back in that period, all the the quote unquote real talk shows were dark, right? They either weren't able to produce a show at all or it was like Jimmy Fallon in his broom cupboard, you know, in, interviewing over people over Zoom. Like, and it just right. wasn't, it wasn't good. But we were actually able to kind of, in a, in a virtual way, we're the, we were the only real talk show that had like a band and a set and a couch. And it yeah. actually <laughs> felt like a talk show because there's no COVID in the metaverse, right? We can mm-hmm. have as many people right. in that room as we wanted to and no one needs to mask up. And I guess a lot of celebrities that were bored and had nothing better to do, um, because all their movies were shut down and nobody could work, um, wanted to come on the show. And we ended up with like Sting performed live music on the show. Selena <laughs> Gomez debuted a single on the show. Brie Larson, who was a big Animal Crossing player, came on and was cracking up. And um, Danny Trejo, uh, who we ended up giving his own spin-off show. Lisa Loeb came on and played <laughs> live music. Like it was just crazy. We had so much fun with it. And it, it was one of those things where it became so popular that it actually ended up becoming kind of a hassle. It's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a great job. Right. Yeah, it's, it's like I've, it's, I've created a monster I can no longer control and it actually became very, very stressful. And it, I was a writer, so even during COVID, I was still able to do my job. I was spending 20, 30 hours a week making this show because yeah. we, we did it for, like, we did sound checks, we did tech rehearsals, we had to do, like, yeah. music. And, like, when Selena came on the show, I had to spend hours with her record label clearing the music and it's like i've literally got selena gomez right here saying i can play the song like are you sure this isn't okay and on and on it would go but it was it it was it was fun and i think the greatest gift from it both at the time and like right up until now today is hearing people say oh my god that was like just the tonic that i needed during they put a smile on my face during the pandemic which is exactly that was my dream for it if you're interested all of those episodes are i think we did 25 episodes uh, are still all archived on my YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash Gary Witter and find all of the animal talking episodes. Perfect. Perfect. It's, it just it sounds very similar in terms of style to the way our friends at the George Lucas talk show do their I thing. Did, you know, and I, I did the George Lucas I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you've been on there. Live, in, Sa- live in San Francisco yeah. um, just recently as part of um, uh, SF Sketchfest, the comedy festival mm-hmm. that they have here. Mm-hmm. And then there was all kinds of weird options. So Paul, the comedian Paul Shear mm-hmm. came on and told us about, he actually hosted an official Star Wars talk show, which was kind of like Space Ghost, but he was basically, I think he was Darth Vader, sitting behind the desk of a late night yeah. talk show set. Yeah. And they had like Lobot was the band leader. I guess he's supposed to be Amazing. like a Paul Schaefer because they're both bald or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And it was, it was an official like Lucasfilm production, but they never, they never put it out. Like it got, it got canned. But Paul, I don't think we were ever able to show them, but Paul sent me some pictures from behind the scenes. It was hilarious. I wish they had done it. I love, I used to love Space Ghost Coast to Coast. So like that, that was right. really kind of what we were channeling. I think it's what Paul was trying to do with the Star Wars mm. show as well. That's great. 
it's 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 so much fun hearing like everyone's stories about the the different things that they were doing and just ways that creative people were staying creative during yeah and it really it really it really couldn't have existed at any other time and in fact i was thinking about maybe bringing it back during the writer's strike because it's the same problem right all that all these all the all the celebrities are stuck at home they can't work they can't promote their shows but they could uh, and it was i I remember thinking "Ah, it was too much hassle i'm really lazy like let's just let it be i'm very always always very aware of like one of my rules is like you don't do the same joke twice. Like you, you if you have a hit with a joke, remember like George Costanza makes everyone laugh and he just leaves the room. So I'm going out on a high note. Like yeah. just leave, let's just yeah. stop there. Like it's, it's the best. It's that's the same drop, thing. Isn't it? it's, yeah, you, you have a hit. I remember Jerry Seinfeld always saying like he, even though they were throwing money at him to do like a tenth season of Seinfeld or whatever, he walked away because he said, "I never want to get to a point where people are saying, do you remember when Seinfeld used to be funny?' Like no, yeah. when you like go out on top, basically. And so I always, I always worry that if you go back, I think nostalgia is a really tricky thing and it, there's a fascinating conversation to be had in the star wars context yeah. about this right i always say nostalgia ain't what it used to be and you can make something that is as good <laughs> as something that, that was back in the day but it can never compete with your fuzzy memory of it right like your mm-hmm. childhood it's right. like why every generation i think thinks that you know they say like every generation thinks like the best music is whatever was around when they were like 14 15 16 years old mm-hmm. it's yeah. like I'm, I'm an original trilogy guy because that's what i was yeah. was around when i was growing up there's a whole generation of kids that grew up the prequels are star mm-hmm. wars for them and now there's an even newer generation for whom you know kylo ren and and poe and 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 finn and ray that's their star wars yeah um and so uh, to try and go back and, and and recapture that it's very very hard i think to recapture that feeling of nostalgia i think at the very best it can sometimes just feel kind of bittersweet but it's really hard to go back and recapture those memories i think that's that's the thing as well is it's not trying to recapture them it's just moving forward enjoy what you enjoy like you don't have to like everything new that comes out but enjoy the stuff that you do and you remember what, what was it that, what was it that ryan said through kylo ren um let the past die kill it if you have to i, think I love that great, there's great wisdom i love that. that line yeah i've right. always yeah i've i've sort of lived my life since then just trying to sort of with that in mind i'm just like in in that in i think some... I, I think that both jj and ryan were very aware of you know what they were inheriting and what it meant yeah. culturally and yeah. there's a number of times in which they both, I think, snuck those little kind of meta messages into their movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know how sure. many people picked up on this at the time if I'm just reading too much into it. But like I was very <laughs> the very first time I sat down and watched The Force Awakens, the very, if you remember the very first spoken line in that movie, this will begin to make things right. And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. man, like you, you, there's a little meta, a meta commentary yeah. there right away. Like, I know you didn't like the prequels, but now we're going to bring you Star Wars the way you like it again. I just kind of felt there was something very almost kind of cheeky in that yeah. it was like 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 a mission statement and then i think ryan's mission statement was almost the opposite of that it was very fascinating to see ryan and jj almost ping pong back and forth right it's like, mm-hmm. like let's let's go back and do things the way they were and then ryan's like no 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 forget about the past you got to move forward and it was really Something interesting new. to see that yeah. almost like yeah. a conversation between two filmmakers as they as they pass the ball back and forth and I think that's the key as well. It's, it's understanding that it is a conversation. It's not necessarily an argument. I think people get so hung up on the fact that they are very different films. Right. And they have a very different filmmaking style. But, but that's not mean, it doesn't mean that they're adversarial. Like they can like coexist in the same world at all times. It's, right. Yeah, yeah exactly um, you, right. You worked on the Last Jedi comic adaption. Correct? I did. I adapted yeah. Ryan's um, movie for uh, Marvel Comics. And that mm. was really, really fun because um i was a it, it's very very tricky when you adapt and again ryan johnson is a, is, a, is a friend of mine we were both at lucasfilm when i was on rogue 
uh, we were like in the middle of Rogue and he was just mm-hmm. starting on The Last Jedi and we would hang out in the same office and like be like, can you believe they let us do this? Like it's still, <laughs> we still kind of couldn't believe that they had given us the keys to this, yeah, you know, the greatest toy box in history basically. Um, and Ryan, I, we, I knew Ryan, even, like he came to the premiere of the, uh, my, uh, of the book of Eli back in the day. And like, he's always been a great supporter of mine and he's a great guy. Um, so it's tricky, right? When, when you inherit something like that and like, you can't just word for word copy it because what's the point? Why would I want to just want to read a comic book that is just exactly the same as the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jodie Hauser adapted Rogue One, she really kind of went and changed a bunch of stuff, not necessarily in terms of like the core principles of the film, but like she added a lot of stuff that made reading the comic a very different experience to the movie. I don't know if I felt as comfortable doing that because I kind of feel like if I make major changes, it's kind of me saying like, ah, this is how I would have done it better than Ryan, like which you sure. know I would never right. presume to say that, but I was able to kind of just look at it through the lens of like, well, comics are a different medium, right? And you can and you can say things and do things in comics and in literature that you can't do in film. For example. Like in comics, in, like internal monologue is a really like you can hear what you can hear what Batman mm. is thinking, right? And then they'll hear mm-hmm. there's like thought bubbles or whatever. If you do internal, if you hear someone's thoughts in a movie, it sounds really cheesy, right? Maybe they did it in Dune. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, it can it can be really cheesy, and so, but but in comics I was able to do that. So there's the scene in Last Jedi where you know where where Leia is floating in space and she kind of like uses the Force to kind of get herself back to the ship. Um, that's a scene that in the film plays in complete silence, and it, you know yeah. I think it works really well. In the comic, I took the opportunity to give her an internal monologue and like, let's see what she's thinking as she's doing this. And I think it was additive, but it was, but it wasn't like, oh, I thought that should be in the movie. It's like, here's here's how you could right. if, if you do it in comics. Here's how you do it in a different way. And I got to add a few things like that. The only thing that I changed that was like, I didn't like that about the movie, and so I'm going to change it for my <laughs> preference. And it's really just a personal preference. Is my one of my personal favorite characters in the history of Star Wars is Admiral Akbar. And I didn't yeah. like the way Ryan killed him. I was like, oh, I felt like you should have given him a bit more props than that. And so when he dies in the comic, he, I just gave him one moment when he, like, he knows they're going to die. And he just turns to his crew and says, it's been, a, it's been an honor serving with, serving with you all. And I just oh, wanted to give him right. that moment. And so yeah. just little tiny yeah. tweaks like that. But for the most part, it's extremely faithful to the, to the, to the movie. And, and it's it's a it's a change that it doesn't alter the way that people watch no, the film. No, that's the thing. You it's, never it's, want to, it's additive. It's, you never want to change the filmmaker's intent. It's like what can you add or what can you reinterpret that's appropriate in the medium of comics. My favorite thing I actually sent it to Ryan because I was so pleased with it uh, was when Luke spoilers right. This is a Star Wars podcast, so how do you yeah, know this stuff? Luke, you know, when Luke dies at the end of um, uh, uh, Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Yeah. My memory is not what it used to be. Um, I gave I gave him a monologue there as well because I think you know, what what Ryan did very subtly, I I kind of made a bit more overt. Like I think that mm-hmm. scene is meant to harken back to the classic scene of Luke kind of looking to the horizon on Tatooine mm-hmm. before his journey begins. And so I added something like you know my journey ends as it begins you know by the light of two suns. And I just thought that was like, it's just nice to kind of yeah. have that kind of circularity and there's a poetry to stories kind of coming full circle. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. That's that's nice. I've I've not actually read it, but now I I really want to just to go and there's see. A, what I mean, there's, little bits and bobs. there's I, some there's some yeah. fun stuff in there, and the artwork is really beautiful. And yeah. there were, again, we added just enough, I think, to make it like even if you've seen the movie, it's worth reading the comic. Great, sold. Yeah. Um, I I two of the the written Star Wars things that you have written that I've been a big fan of were your stories in the first two from a certain point of view. Yeah. Books. Yeah, uh, I, did, I was, did, uh, the first I was one kind of sad Empire. to see that you you don't have one in the the Return of the Jedi. Was that just uh, was it 
today. Approach you about anything? There were reasons I won't go into why I was perfectly happy to not be involved in that third one. But um, <laughs> beyond that, it's uh, I'm just really proud of the ones that I did in the first yeah. two. People, especially the second one, because people used to say to me and they thought it was a funny joke. Oh, when are you going to do Rogue Two? Well, <laughs> did it? Technically, where's the sequel? Well. <laughs> Technically, a new hope is the sequel yeah, to Rogue yeah, right. One, and in fact, you know, it's been really fun. As I said, new people would do. It's been really fun to watch people edit the two together and like and fill in that connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's what I did in the first book. The the story from uh, from Captain Antilles' point of view bridges the gap between Rogue One um, and uh, and a New Hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did end up. When people say, "When you do Rogue Two, I did it already," and it, but of course, it's the story of, the, of Rogue Two, <laughs> Zev Seneska from The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, got to write the story of the you know the the the, the pilot who finds Han and uh, Luke when they're stranded on a hearth. So um, yeah, those were really fun to do. And just just in terms of like a weird kind of like Star Wars egot boast that I have is that I'm the only person ever to have written Star Wars for film, television, books, and comics, uh, which is kind of awesome. a weird distinction. Yeah, there can't but, be uh, there can't be too many of you guys in that little club. Well, there, there's one. So it's just I, I, wow! Look at that. <laughs> and so I'm very, I'm, I'm very, uh, very proud of that little, that little distinction. Yeah, I think I'll add, maybe add video game at one point because I come from a video game background. But for oh. right now, that's I'm, I'm happy to have that little brag. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I think that's yeah. I mean, other than director audiobook, which I think Kevin Scott's got a lock on at the moment. Like they're they're the that's the only other medium that I could think of with. Or radio Something drama, would, yeah, radio drama, yeah. Because I was thinking when you were talking about the 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 differences in your version of um, the Last Jedi, was we we've been spending some time listening to the old Star Wars radio dramas. Oh and yeah, they they do like alternate scenes. They have scenes with Captain Antilles and mm-hmm. and and Leia and stuff. And I find I I find it just fascinating seeing different takes on stuff. I yeah. guess I you know some people are so sort of like beholden to canon and things being having to fit and then making things fit. Um, so I like when there's uh, essentially a certain point of view style towards storytelling that it's, allows the readers to kind of be like, you know what's it's fun to see like a, what if mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. I, this occurred to me when I was working on, on rogue one, because obviously part of that job is like, was just thinking very deeply about star wars and how it functions and what it means to people and why it resonates and how fans react to it um especially when we were doing something with rogue one where we were like very we were so closely connected right we had to obviously really adhere to canon and it was kind of my job uh to be kind of the logic continuity cop to make sure that all of the things lined up so i mean like one very small example is when um uh, like the opening crawl, right? So it's during the battle, rebel spies told it. So, okay, so there has to be a big battle in the third act. Great, you would want that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but just little things like when they're in the Death Star conference room in the in the first movie and the guy says, uh, you've, you've failed to conjure up the stolen data tapes. I'm writing down, okay, well, there have to be actual tapes. It has to be a physical yeah. object, which again, you want that, right? You want a physical MacGuffin where they're like handing it off and that works really well in the film at the end. But just little things like that and like things that you might not even think about, like I really wanted to put Wedge at the Battle of Scarif, but I couldn't do it because we're in the New Hope. He says, look at the size of that thing. It's like he's seen the Death Star for the first time. If he'd been at Scarif, he would have seen it like the day before. Right. And I love, but I love the fact that the other pilot who was there is like, cut the chatter. Like we've seen this already. Yeah. We know it's a big thing. Don't worry about it. So just like tiny little kind of canonical things like that, because Star Wars fans will notice if something's not canonically correct. And this is the, why is he surprised? Well, this is, this is the thing. Um, Star Wars history is more protected and more sacrosanct than real history. 
Like if you make it like they made Braveheart, or if you make like a World War II movie, you can change things and take liberties with history and like historic, like historical professors or people that was, oh, that wasn't actually how it happened. But like no one like loses their shit over it. If you change something in Star Wars canon, <laughs> oh lynched. my god, like you violated, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so yeah. that's it's interesting how that how that has worked. So fake fake history it's is funny. like more is more policed more heavily than real history in movies. Because it's funny how in uh, in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, uh, General Grievous and Anakin Skywalker meet for the first time. Then George Lucas goes off and makes the Clone Wars series, which is what seven seven seasons. Yeah, and he can't have a single episode where Anakin and Grievous come together because right. of that one line and, in and, Star Wars. And the more of it, the more content you make, and it's an interesting observation. They've made more live action filmed Star Wars content in the last four years than in the previous forty. Yeah, right. When you think about it's, it, in right. terms of hours, like in terms of, of just content, hours yeah. of television, yeah, because yeah, it's it's primarily a TV thing now. Yeah. Um. The the more uh, every time you make something, it gets it gets put into the canon bank, right? And then that becomes something yeah. that is like locked in. And you mm-hmm. can do you can you can get clever with it. You can do little retcons and stuff like that that don't that bend canon but don't break it. I've always personally thought though that the the canon thing is like really interesting. Like, like again, like the Last Jedi isn't the comic book isn't exactly the same as the movie but like is does that mean that one is less or more canonical than the other when i did the certain point of view stories people like well are these these canon i'm like i don't even know how to answer that like what does it mean like this is it's all just different degrees of stuff that's made up like none of it's real so what what does it mean for something to be quote-unquote canonical i don't i don't know we we say it on this show whenever we're talking about one of the live action shows and someone's complaining that a character doesn't look the same as they do in this book or in that comic book where they might have originated um which is like it's it's the same as when a new artist comes onto a run of comics it's a different interpretation it doesn't lessen one from the other they're both just as good as the other take what you want to look like an artist may draw han solo to look like harrison ford another Mm -hmm. might draw draw han solo to look like alden ehrenreich they might draw him to look like they do in the in the holiday special you know in the (laughs) the animated show like it's just the character um, and we've been getting a lot of that with with uh, animated characters coming over to live action and stuff, um, and then and people going crazy because they recreated a scene from the show Rebels in Ahsoka, and Ahsoka's wearing something completely different, and yeah. people are, what does this mean? And it's just like I kind of, I kind of the. Uh, I'm not. I'm not much of a reader, unfortunately. My wife is. She's the reader in the family, and she's read both uh, the first two from a certain point of view books, and uh, she's read stories to me while bed because they're the perfect bite-sized chunks. And so I'll just th- sit there and listen. And I love those stories. It's like Tales from Jabba's Palace. It's like yeah. When I, when I was growing oh, I up, because I, I grew from up- Jabba's Palace. Because that's all we had back then. Like, yeah. I'm an original trilogy guy. I was born in 77. And so, like, we had almost, like, 17 years with just, you know, two Ewok movies, and that was it, before the special editions came out. Did you uh, so, do you, you ever see the Tales of Jabba's Palace where it was like Han Solo was on trial for shooting Greedo in the cantina? You remember this? And I, I like, totally well, remember got, that one. Got, That's great. It's like, we've got, it, it, it was Greedo was on trial for, sh- I can't remember what it was. No, it was Han was on trial for shooting Greedo. And it was like, well, we've got the footage right here. And, <laughs> and it showed, this is like, it's like Han's putting this up in his defense. Look, clearly Greedo shoots first, as you can see. And then, but then the Greedo's lawyer shows up and says, I've got evidence that that footage was doctored. And here's the original <laughs> footage right here where clearly Han shoots first. And it's just again, like again, just make like just little meta jokes yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Um, and again, you can't take this stuff 
to I, I I really I think the key to enjoying Star Wars or any kind of fandom Anything. is like you can't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. Just right. let it be fun. It's, let you know it's, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, I know. I know people get mad when George Lucas says things like Star Wars is made for twelve year olds. But um, it is. I know. Yeah. But it is. And and that's let, me, like, like, let like, me put it this way: it's made for twelve years, twelve year olds of all ages. That's how that's perfect. how I would put it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like you can be six years old and love it as much as you can when you're sixty. It's, it's right. there's no difference. Um, it shouldn't be taken more serious than your inner twelve year old. I think there is, you go. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And when I was twelve, I ate up those Ewok movies. Yeah. You know, they're, I James watched. Oh, you did that last time. year as well. <laughs> but but the th- that's nostalgia again. Yeah. James watched those for the first time recently. Uh, didn't care for him, but for me, it's one of those things where like that's all the Star Wars I had mm. growing up. Like I had the yeah. three yeah, movies. The nineties were rough, right? Weekend. Because you know yeah. it was largely video games that got me through that period. I don't I don't think the video games get enough X-Men. credit. It was yeah. the, like because they were that was the only Star Wars that was like on screen with music with voice. It was the closest thing to like filmed star wars that we yeah yes there were books and comics but like if you wanted to like watch star wars and hear the music and feel like you were yep. Im- immersed in it the you know they said uh, x-wing tie fighter dark forces like those games got us through i was gonna say and you start getting into times. the full motion rebel, video stuff and then and rebel yeah. Assault. Awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah rebel assault yeah. Too. rebel right. assault 2 had Rogue the first Squadron. action footage yep yeah yeah yep um yeah we covered that episode a while back and it's it's crazy to go back and see some of that that full motion video but it was what we had at the time it was great i loved it i was like seven eight nine years old around then and i yeah that was all just new star wars for me yeah it looked great which for me when the prequels came out i wasn't the biggest fan when they initially came out but i still went and saw phantom menace like nine times at the theater because a it was summer and it was hot and i can go get some (laughs) air conditioning but also i had waited my entire like teenage years and into my 20s like without being able to see star Wars on the big screen. So even if I didn't care for the story, um, I, I still got to see, uh, Obi-Wan on the big yeah, screen. And the, and, and, again, the, and the same with the special editions. I must've seen the empire strikes back a hundred yeah. times or more on, on video at home. But when they did the special edition to sit there and watch that scene with Vader and Luke, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the battle on, um, in cloud city, when you see it like blown up on the big screen as it's meant to be seen, like it's magic. It's like, oh my God, like yeah. I understand why this has such, the, the resonance. The ad-ads, the ad-ads, oh, which I've yeah. seen, you know, on a, on a, I think uh-huh. the biggest TV I had as a kid was a 27 inch yeah. TV. Yeah. And uh, I was watching the letterbox version. So the ad-ads were always so small. Um, seeing that first shot through the binoculars, through the binoculars oh my on God. the big it's screen, terrifying, right? It looks massive. And I'm like, yeah. I've never realized that these, actually looked massive it's yeah. it's um, you get the sort of imposing nature of them a lot more yeah 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 and the music, and the music. Um, you're just you're just enveloped by everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh well we're gonna get to rogue one at, at some point i'm sure uh because i'm sure that that is probably what people talk to you most about gary but uh me and my partner are watching through rebels at the moment uh it's a rewatch for me and it's her first time Okay. Uh, and over lunch, we just watched Warhead, and I we got to. Oh, that's a fun like, one. Yeah. Oh, that that's a Gary episode. I knew that you had a few in there. Um, I'm a big fan of Wedge as well, so I was very happy with the the Antilles extraction. Um, I've I've talked about it in the past when I was in the room at Celebration London when they showed the uh, season three trailer. Right. And 
everyone then went nuts for Thrawn. And then I was like the one guy in the crowd just going nuts when you saw Wedge on screen. I was like, yeah, there, there he is. That's it's, what it's, always, it's always fun to see what different people react to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Warhead, we were watching it this afternoon and it is, as you said, it's such a fun episode. It's, it's got sort of elements of a Terminator story in there, but it's also got probably the most AP five other than his. Yeah. AP, episode. Yeah. AP five's fun. Um, so the, the 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 way it works when you work on uh, Rebels, like everyone, it's similar to most TV shows. I think you know you sit in a writers' room and everyone kind of mm-hmm. breaks the stories collaboratively. But if if it's an idea that you pitched or or you seem to kind of have more ownership of it, like as the story develops, uh, eventually they'll they'll decide like who's going to write each episode. And I like it was like very. I was like, I'm, I'm writing the, the Antilles. There's no way I'm not writing the Wedge origin story. There was right. some back and forth on whether or not that was going to be Biggs. And I was like, no, 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 no Wedge, is, Wedge is more. It would have been equally good with Biggs, I guess. But I don't know, Wedge is, I've got a soft spot for Wedge. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the only yeah. person to participate in the destruction of both Death Stars. Here um, are the Rebellion. Yeah, right. And so <laughs> I just thought it'd be really fun. So, um, and it's a really good Sabine episode too. Like Sabine, mm-hmm. It's really Sabine's episode. Um, and my, my other favorite, I don't know how many people, I'm, I'm just surprised how many people did pick up on this. I love doing the little Easter eggs. I used to have that Kenner toy, the TIE fighter that when you popped it, the wings would pop off yeah. to simulate yeah. it being, it was like the wings fall off, but it was supposed yeah. to be like the TIE fighter being destroyed. Um, I pitched Dave this idea. It was like, Oh, like when they disable the TIE fighters, when the empire like do the remote disable, the wings should pop off like on the original toys. And Dave's like, well, we're doing that. And and it happened. It's like, <laughs> no one's going to spot it. But then I got inundated with go, oh, my toy used to do that. And so people will spot like the deepest, deepest mm-hmm. cuts. It was, a, it was a really fun one. Antilles was fun. Uh, when Kathy job was really fun because, you know, Hondo as Morrigan, always fun to write for. Yep. Um, uh, Warhead, as you said, is re- just a really fun bottle episode. Um, and then, and then the last one I did was the first part of the two part of, uh, in the name of the rebellion, which was great mm-hmm. for me because I got to go back to writing Saw Gerrera and it's the one that kind of touches on rogue one the most. So yeah, yeah. really, really, how, really does, how does, does, is working on a part one of two, is that the same process? Is that the same or is it, did you come in with the pitch for that episode? Or? We broke, we broke the, I don't remember how, I mean, it was, I think it was inevitable that like, we knew that by the final season of rebels, it would be butting right up against rogue one. And there was no way to like, not have them connect. Yeah. Um, plus the movie had just come out and it made sense to have the two kind of cross connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just made sense. And we, yeah, we loved Saw. We wanted to bring him back. Um, and that was one that I didn't have, it just made sense that I would do that one. Right. So it, yeah. it, 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 it was actually really good for me because there were things that I wanted to do. I didn't get to do everything I wanted to do in the movie for, and for good reasons. Like I really wanted to have, I was always fascinated me that Saw and Mon Mothma represented these like two very different viewpoints of like how to prosecute the war against the empire that Mon Mothma is yeah. very diplomatic and she's wise, but like, she's a little bit um, squeamish about like going all out. Whereas mm-hmm. Guerrero is much more like, no, you've got to, You've got to play by their rules. Like you, you don't want to lose. Um, yeah. And that was, a, that was, that all came from Gareth on rogue one saying like star Wars has always been black and white. Like you watch the first three movies. There's no question who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. He says, I'm mm-hmm. more interested in shades of gray. So I want to see rebels that are like, at what point are you no longer a freedom fighter and you start to be a terrorist, right? Like, cause Guerrero did some bad shit. Yeah. Um, and like, it's, it's, it mentioned in rogue one where Mon Mothman, Mon Mothman says like, we've disowned him, but like the stuff that he's doing still comes back on us. Like he's, he's like politically, politically like a, a, a liability, problem, a, a, a liability <laughs> yeah. for us at this point. Um, so but I always wanted to have that scene where Saw and Mon Mothma would like just go head to head and like have their debate about like how best to fight this war. And we got to do that in Rebels. So mm, and Forrest came, Forrest came back to do the voice and like it just felt like it, it, I felt like I got, finally got to 
check that box that I wanted to do in the movie. It, it really does feel that he is someone who loves playing that character and is willing to do it. Yeah, because I mean, he came, back, he, he came back for an Andor, he came back yeah. for, for uh, Jedi Fallen Order, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. played that character right. a bunch now. I think yeah. it, 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 I, I think he's the most interesting character in Rogue One because he's the he's, I, I would, it's great. Yeah, I would like, if someone said to me, like, would you what would you want to do if you were to write more for like from the world of Rogue One? I would write more Saw because I think he's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do too. I, I, he's he's upon like many rewatches of Rogue One, he's become I think my favorite part of that film as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it is, it's, it is, as you said, he's he's in Andor now at the moment, and it's great to see him whenever they use him. They use it, again, it's sparingly at the moment. But sparingly. It's, but that's, I think, key. It's, it works so well, because right. he is someone that shouldn't be at the forefront at this point. He's yeah, sort of and off I'm, doing I'm, his own thing. And I'm so glad we got him to come back from the animated show, you know, because they don't always yeah. do that, right? Like, no, of course. Like, sometimes when it's a live action version and they want the, and they want the live action, the, the, the live action actor doesn't always do the animated voice. Sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And you think maybe with Forrest Whitaker, man, he's like a big name actor. He might not want to come back, mm-hmm. but he did. And he came and he, and he, and he, and he was terrific. That's great. Um, Rogue One, how does, how does you coming onto Rogue One, how does that process begin? Do you, did you go in? Cause Everyone's sort of heard the story about uh, was it John Knoll, who had like initial story idea of the the Death Star plans being stolen. Uh, how are you brought on to work? On yeah, that John. John came up with the idea. I found this obviously found this all out later. My yeah. what happened was I, I I was like standing in line at a Popeye's fried chicken, <laughs> scrolling on my phone, and the news broke that Disney had bought um, Lucasfilm. And mm-hmm. at the, if you remember at the time, the initial announcement, there wasn't very much. It was, they're going to do, they're going to do episode seven, eight, nine. And Michael Arndt's going to write the screenplay. This is before mm-hmm. JJ, JJ came later, yeah. right? It was Michael yeah. Arndt was the only name that was mentioned. And so I immediately called my agent and said, you got to get me a meeting. And he was like, yeah, you and everybody else, like take a number. <laughs> like every writer in Hollywood right now is on the phone to their agent. Cause of course it's Star yeah. Wars. Um, and so I, I never thought that, that, that it would come to anything because look, I, I've had a couple of movies made. I've got a career in Hollywood, but there are a hundred, if not more writers in Hollywood who would be ahead of me on that yep. list. Uh, because with Star Wars, you have the luxury of like, you can get anybody. Um, I remember sitting around with Gareth talking about Saw Gerrera. It's like, who, who, who would play Saw Gerrera? And Gareth's like, Forrest Whitaker. I was like, man, do you think we could get him? And there was someone else in the room who said, it's Star, it's Star Wars. Wars. I think, I think yeah. we can get him. Yeah, um, Especially and at that so, point in time as well. At like that point in time when it was still yeah. fresh and new and like everybody, everybody wanted to be mm. a part of it. It was not difficult to cast those movies. Um, and, you, and you also have the luxury of just cut, like casting relative unknowns. Like, mm. like apart, apart from like Donnie Yen and, and maybe Forrest, like start at the time, like, they, like Felicity was not a big star. Who, who had heard of Diego Luna, right? But yeah. you get, you just get to cut Ben Mendelsohn, right? Who's now a big star, but wasn't at the time. I remember Gareth saying like, oh, I know who's going to play Krennic. It has to be Ben Mendelsohn. I'm like, who? And he sent yeah. me he sent me some clips, um, and so you just get to cast the best actor for the role rather than like oh we need big names in this movie because you don't Star Wars is the big name people yeah. are going to yeah. show up yeah, and that's one of the luxuries of it right exactly exactly right um, and so where were we I've digressed again <laughs> uh, jumping onto Popeyes yeah we were at Popeyes oh so I was at Popeyes <laughs> and. And, uh, they, and my agent said like I'll make a call but like don't get your hopes up. Um, and then sometime later, I got a call from uh, Lucasfilm 
uh, asking me if I wanted to come in. And their main campus is in San Francisco, where I live. And it was really, I mean, I would have gone anywhere, obviously. But I went over and met with them. And it was a very general, casual meeting. I didn't know what it was about. Um, they still hadn't announced any plans. There was no news about like spin-offs or standalones, but like I knew because it's common sense, there was going to be more than just seven, eight, nine, right? There was going to be right. video games, comic books, you know, or maybe TV, all kinds of other things. Uh, but I had no idea what. And I thought, honestly, like given my stature as a writer, like number 101 on the list, like at best, that they would, that they maybe they'd be talking to me about a game or a book or a comic spin-off. And I would, of course, would have been having to do anything in the star Wars universe. And they just had me talk about, they didn't tell me anything at all. They were just going to let sounding me out. Mm. Um, and I asked them, at the time, I said, do you want me to pitch you an idea? And they're like, no, no, no I just want to talk to you. And I, as I later found out, they already knew what they wanted to do. They were just trying to find the right writers for those right projects. Um, and I talked to them about how like, I cried at the end of return of the Jedi when I was 11 years old and how I used to take my Han Solo action figure and put him in the ice cube tray and freeze him in carbonite and like thaw him out under the warm tap um, and just spoke about like my love of star Wars and how it's, it was a big reason why I do what I do for a living. And they went, okay, well, you know, nice talking to you. And off I went none the wiser. And then nothing happened for like three or four weeks. I was like, okay. Yeah. It was a great meeting, but like nothing's going to happen. They've Mm. got bigger names. And then they called me back and said, we're going to send you a document uh, to look at for a project that we like you for. Um, it's going to be PDF. This is the beginning of me understanding how secretive this is going to be a, an encrypted PDF. Someone else is going to call you on a different number with the passcode to unlock the PDF because this wow. is what they're like. Wow. And I'd already signed all kinds of NDAs at this point. Uh-huh. And I opened up the document and it was this two page thing that John Null had written called Destroyer of Worlds. And I read it and I called them back and I said, I, I genuinely, I, I, I think you've sent me the wrong document. Because this appears to be like an idea for a, like a live action feature film. Yeah, and they, well, I mean, so I mean, well, listen, the the, the working title of of um, of uh, Rogue One was Los Alamos for a reason. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and, makes and, sense. And again, they said Destroyer of Worlds, right? It all yeah. went back to Oppenheimer, and the you know the Death Star is was the Empire's Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I said, yeah, this can't be right. And they're, no, no, no. What do you think? I said, oh God, I mean, yes, of course. Uh, had, went back in and met John. And now I do have to pitch because I know what it is. Yeah. And I thought I thought a lot about what I wanted to do. And obviously, I was really, really nervous to meet John because I grew up reading all the making of books. I knew know who John Knoll is, yeah. you know, the guy who invented Photoshop <laughs> like, on top of everything yeah. else. I mean, he's a legend. And John is very dry. I love him to death, but he's very dry and he doesn't give you much. Like he'll sit there and um, just just take you all in. But like, he doesn't go, oh, I like that. Like he just kind of sits there. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, like um, – comedians talk about how awful it is to audition for snl because you audition for lorne michaels and oh, lorne michaels just, doesn't laugh yeah like yeah. he thinks things are funny but he just doesn't laugh and so you think you're bombing but like he's secretly going oh this person's funny but he gives you nothing in the audition and that was kind of like what it was like with john <laughs> yeah. um but i pitched him this idea which was like this is a this is an old-fashioned world war ii men on a mission movie this is the guns and Navarone. this is the dirty dozen this is where eagles dare and I showed him a picture that I had of um, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton from Where Eagles Do. If you remember, they dress up like the Nazi officers to infiltrate mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. the, the, um, you know, the Nazi um, uh, uh, fortress on top of this mountain that's somewhere in the Bavarian 
Alps or wherever. I said, this is the movie, right? But, but they're dressed up like Imperial officers and the, and the Vivarian Alps is like the base where they're building the Death Star. And it's a heist movie. It's men on a mission movie. It's, you know, they're, they're going to they're have to put the team together and all that great shit that we love, but like yeah. in a Star Wars context. And again, John just kind of started going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, gives you nothing. <laughs> and then I came back here and, they, and I then found out that they had liked that. And now I have to meet Gareth. And I came in and met Gareth. Uh, he and I had hit it off like we're both Brits from the same, both very kind of like, I don't know if you've ever spoken to Gareth, but he's very kind of yeah. down to earth, very kind of like rumpled. And like, he always looks like he just fell out of bed, but like he's a genius. <laughs> he's, I mean, I, this, this, I, I, I'm going to go see his mo- new movie next week. The creator looks absolutely Yeah, incredible. we were talking about it. Looks great. Nobody makes movies that look wait. like Gareth's I, movies. No. Like, they're, just in, they're just unbelievable. And it's all him. Like that's, like, mm-hmm. I only remember doing the effects, but like he's the one saying, this is what I want to say. Yeah. And there was he so could many... be doing the effects if he wanted to be doing there, the I mean, he, I mean, he did for Monsters, yeah. right? And so yeah. I, I right. did. There were so many times when I would sit, because I remember like, I just wanted to shadow Gareth as much as possible. I'd say, like, can I, can I just come and sit in the ILM meetings? Again, awesome. I'm digressing, but like, I would say, like, can I, can I come <laughs> sit with you? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I would, and I would, and I would listen to like, the direction that he would give um, uh, the, um, the ILM artists. And I remember thinking, like, he's so fun. Like, he knows exactly what he wants. Like, he sees it in his head. Like, he's just trying to, like, communicate that to these artists. And that's why the movie looks as good as it does. Um, I think it's so the I, best looking Star Wars movie. It's, it looks, it looks incredible. It, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you one example of it. So we, I, I think, I, I think it was me. I pitched to Gareth the idea. It was like, we have an A wing, a B wing, an X wing and a Y wing. Let's do another letter. So let's create the U wing. Like we knew yeah. that we wanted a, we knew that we wanted a troop transport. Um, and so let's, so let's create the U wing. And we'll, and you know, cause they all look like, vaguely like the letter apart from the b-wing they all look like the letter of the alphabet well, the b if you lay it sideways it kind of looks like a I mean, my, b, my, a little my, bit. Un- my understanding is that it's from blade wing because it looks like a knife mm, if you think of the yeah. it looks like the top part looks like the looks like the hilt of a knife and the other part is the blade yeah. i always say b-wing is for best wing because it's my favorite it's my it's my favorite I'm ship a, um the I'm rebels episode guy. where they test fly the b-wing is so cool it's great um, fun yeah. yeah so um U wing, right? And that was, and that was, and that's a fairly simple brief to give to an artist, right? Like create the new, create the new alphabet rebel ship, right? And it's, and it's vaguely U, it's, it's a yeah. vaguely U ish. Yeah. Um, I think, I guess the X and the Y are the ones that look most like them, right? The yeah. A is kind of vaguely kind of triangular. Yeah. And the cockpit kind of has the, yeah. the, the and then space B, obviously, in the it's just whatever. But like we wanted to do something that looks vaguely like a U. And of course, in the, in the end, it does with the twin prongs and everything. Yeah. And Gareth would sit down and these ILM guys had come up with like eight different designs and they were all beautifully ready. You could tell they had spent like hours on each one, but Gareth didn't like any of them. He said, look, I want to make, I want to use our time better. He said, rather than you spending like an hour on one design, here's what I want to do. We're going to do an exercise called 60 second ships. And I don't oh, want cool. you to spend more than 60 oh. seconds designing each one. And I want to see 50 ideas that didn't take you more than a minute each. And once I like, once I see like the skeleton, here's the thing, this is the genius thing is think about when you were a kid, like when you would draw star Wars ships in your, in your, um, uh, in your, in your notebook or whatever, yeah. all the great, designs of, of like the classic iconic spaceships are things that kids can draw really easily. If I said to you, draw an X-Wing or draw a TIE fighter, you can do it in five seconds, right? right. 
or even the Enterprise. You can yeah. draw that. You, you know what the Enterprise looked like. It's a big fucking dish and two nacelles. <laughs> and it's like right from the, from the silhouette, you just know what that is. There's, there's so a reason that be... so many people have like just the stick figure tattoos of right? X-Wings and TIE Fighters around. You know, so it has instead. to be something yeah. that, is, that, can, that can be rendered that, that, there's a, that mm. there's a skeletal frame to it that is that. And then you can iterate on it. But like that's what Gareth wanted. He just wanted, he wanted basically the version that a kid would draw in their notebook. And yeah. that's how, and eventually he found one that he likes. Okay, now, now flesh that out. And that's how we found the Ewing. And that, again, that's, again, that was to me an example of like, he's like, he knows exactly how to get where he wants to get. Yeah. Um, so I met with Gareth. Uh, he and I hit it off. He was editing Godzilla at the time. He, he jumped right off of Godzilla onto, onto um, he would literally like be, be in the edit bay um, at Warner Brothers. And then Disney's right across the street. He would, he would come over and meet with me uh, at the Disney offices in uh, Burbank, the Lucasfilm offices. And we would talk and we would like go back and forth. And then I had to go, then I had to meet Kathy, which I was super nervous about. Mm. Um, and yeah. then eventually I had to meet um, uh, Alan Horn uh, and Alan Bergman, who were the two like big cheeses at um, Disney at the time. Disney, yeah. And, and had to, and, and had to pitch them. And it was after every meeting, it was, it was like, there's just what, do we have the job yet? Do we have the job there? And they were like one more meeting, one more meeting. And then after the Allen's meeting, we came out and uh, Gareth and I were like now. And Kathy said, "Now you can go make a movie." And we were like, "Ah, oh, really? awesome. so yeah." And that's how, and that's how it started. And I've met I've met uh, Gareth in a in a party setting. And again, if anybody has the chance to hang out with Gareth, uh, he's so down to earth, right? Like you wouldn't think he's nice like a big guy. Hollywood film director to meet him, right? Mm-hmm. We were standing. It was a it was a tiki themed party. Okay. We were standing under a heat lamp. Uh, I didn't wear a hat, uh, and my head is shaved because I'm, I'm I'm balding. And he took his little captain's hat that he was wearing and put it on my head because it was getting too hot. And then <laughs> we just we just hit it off. And still, this was this was after Rogue One, and was just wanted to talk about. 1977 star wars the uh, uh i just call it star wars some people call yeah. it new hope um just absolutely love that his enthusiasm for star wars is oh like, yeah i mean he's a he's a bigger so fanboy than, than i was like he was i mean he's yeah. i mean that movie i don't think he's a filmmaker without that movie and i think he shows and, and that's true for so many filmmakers of that generation yeah right? but specifically so, with with I know he would, he would ask early on, will I get to meet George? Will I get to meet George? And he eventually, and, and they were like, you can, but you don't need to. But he did yeah. eventually come to the set. And I know that was a real treat for Gareth. That's awesome. That's really nice. Right. I like, I like it when right. things like that happens. George, mm-hmm. it's one of those things. But again, people sort of just like, oh no, George hates all of this. It's like, he doesn't, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Well, but I know, I know that George I'm called sure. Gareth after the, after the, the movie and told him that he really liked it. And that was probably Great. his biggest thrill. It yeah. was funny. So George, I wasn't there that day, but George did come to the set one day and toured the production office. And of course, everyone's like, you know, everything's been tidied up and you know, yeah. it's nice and neat. Somebody told me once that the, 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 the Queen of England um, used to think that the world smells like paint because anytime she goes anywhere, it's been painted <laughs> the day before to make it all look like fresh and new. And so everyone's kind of tidying up and George comes in. And if you've ever been to a production office, you see they've got all the models and all the production art storyboards are up on the walls it's a working office and gareth was giving him a tour and there's all this art up on the wall this is stuff that isn't necessarily in the movie yet but like 50 different concepts mm-hmm. of something and and anytime george would point something and go that's cool george, gareth is like that's in the movie now like 100 percent. like he's amazing oh, <laughs> blessed by george <laughs> yeah, and they had they had the u-wing 
model like it was I don't know, maybe this yeah. big like they build it as a physical model you know they do like a clay i don't know exactly how they make it but you know it's a sculpted model yeah. uh-huh. um and uh it wasn't painted or anything it just looked like gray clay but it was really detailed and george said oh that's cool what is that and gareth said, oh that's the u-wing that's like the new ship he goes well i like it a lot um and uh at the end gareth said would you would you be good enough to like sign something before you go and he gave him a sharpie and 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 george signed the u-wing model <laughs> and it was brilliant but after he left everyone was like oh fuck like we we can't paint it now we was, we, have to, <laughs> we had to build a new one because they were they couldn't possibly paint yeah. over george's autograph on the u-wing yeah. model so yeah, they were. And now, now Gareth has to. Yeah, Gareth now just has to like. He's like, well, I only wanted something that I could put on my wall. Now I've got to have this massive U-wing right. somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> high class problems to have. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of the first things that Gareth showed me when I told him that I was a massive Star Wars fan and that I liked Rogue One. Also, I'm a big Godzilla fan, and I loved his film Monsters. Like meeting him was a thrill. But the first thing he did was he held up his phone and his lock screen was George Lucas kind of looking miserable behind the scenes of the original Star Wars. And he said, I put this, I put this on my lock screen the day I got row one. And it, it, it's, it was still on there well after um, just a, just a nice reminder. So yeah, like, like I can't imagine what it would be like to meet George Lucas. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but let alone meeting George Lucas while you have a room full of design setup sounds like a yeah. nightmare because we've yeah. all seen the footage from the prequels with his markers and he's just nope, nope, no, like fully formed. Yeah, pequette. I mean, like, and one I and one point. word from him from him could kill you, right? I mean, I I I think a lot about that um that line in Bob Iger's autobiography where he talks about when they sat down George Lucas to watch Force Awakens for the first time. And at, and at the end of it, he stood up and said, "There's nothing new." And I was like, "I was like, can you imagine hearing that from George Lucas?" Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, it's yeah. One that was why they, they asked me. I said, "I honestly, I'd rather not," yeah, because like that, you know, they say yeah. never meet your heroes. If you have one bad, what if it's what if it's a bad interaction? Like what if you? I met right. I met Lawrence Kasdan at the at the um, at the uh, at the premiere. And of course, Lawrence, who wrote not only, you know, Empire and, and Jedi, but also Raiders of the Lost Ark and a bunch yeah. of other amazing yeah. shit. I, yeah. fa- I, I did the, remember like when Chris Farley used to interview people on SNL yeah. and like he was trying to be an interviewer, but he was just like embarrassing himself all the time. Stupid, stupid. Like that's how I felt yeah. like the whole time I was talking to him. When it's I so it's so nerve wracking. Like, to what do you? Heroes. It's it's hard. Like, what do you say? Like, that's not going to sound dumb. Like, you you and and, and you he know, hasn't heard a million like times Indiana before, Jones. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, Gary, when we got you to agree to come onto this show, I was like, shit, I've, I I I'm sure that we're going to cover stuff that he's covered a million times before, and I feel bad about that, but I'm just like. We're going to ask it. We're going I mean, no, to ask it. It, 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 can't like... be, it, it can't be avoided. And the thing is, yeah, there's always a certain amount of stuff that I've like almost got like rehearsed answers for at this point. But like, there's always yeah. every interview that I do, like someone asks me something that I'm like, oh, you know, that's I actually haven't thought about that. So yeah. uh, there's always, there's always something. New. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. We, we will stake our claim into Animal Crossing. Um, though, I mean, probably haven't, as you said. I'm sure that people have talked about that a million times. Right. Um, so that's that's sort of jumping into Rogue One. How how you got started on that? You you mentioned how you weren't on set for much of it. Did you get to visit while they were actually shooting while they were in production? Yeah, I was Did there you... for a few days. I um, awesome. I was there at um, 
Um, uh, I was there on the Rebel base. I was there at Yavin Four, yeah. uh, which was that's actually where you a, need to be. I think a, a place called Cardington Sheds, which is a giant. It's the biggest like enclosed space in England. It's just a massive like basically like a, an aircraft hangar where you could park like a massive Zeppelin, right? Like it's awesome. like an airship. Oh, it's yeah. huge, and they built um, the Rebel base there, and it was built in a completely contiguous way, so that you could walk from like the Rebel briefing table through the base and outside to where all the X-Wings are parked, like on the tarmac. It was all one contiguous thing. And, so it was in, and it was incredible. And probably the most emotional moment I had was when I walked onto that set for the first time, because they had pulled all the original blueprints and it yeah. was like walking onto like Elstree in 1975. And like, I almost cried as, holy shit. My, one of my favorite mm. photographs is me and John Knoll standing at the rebel table, you know, the, you know, the, the briefing table cleared the yeah. planet. Like that's, yeah. that's, we were at that table. I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It's incredible. R2D2 will, will roll by me like, this is nuts. <laughs> you know, it was so yeah. cool. I mean, I get that when I, when the first time I went to like Disneyland, Galaxy's Edge, and saw a, a real Millennium Falcon for the first time, I lost it. Like, right, even, yeah. and that's like, that's like just, you know, a theme park thing. But well, we got I to do that like- too, because when we was, we were going to be on, we were going to be on all the same sets as, uh, Force Awakens, and they as soon as they wrapped, they were going to clear all the sets and build the Rogue One sets on the same sound stages. So we went ostensibly to like recon the yeah the, the stages uh, the stages <laughs> yeah. But you know everything was still up, right? The Falcon awesome. was there, and they said, "Do you want it? Do you want to sit in the cockpit?" And we were like, Are "You fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course, <laughs> yeah." Just show us nuts. where it is. Like, don't yeah. don't ask. Yeah, Walk, walking up that ramp onto the Falcon. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like it just, that's it's what still... you can't do with the parks, and it it it's uh it. I want to so bad. I know I'll get kicked out and banned for life if I hop that little fence. Do you, you surely still know some people there, Ralph? Like you've got you got to know some. People. I probably yeah. I used to work. I used to work for the park in third shift. When because I'm not done yeah, it. When you do hours. when you do the ride at, at Galaxy's Edge where you sit in the cockpit of the Falcon. Like how do you get there? Do you not walk through okay, the interior so of the Falcon the, to do it? So this is the brilliant thing. What they do is the line is outside where the Falcon is. Right. And you go. What's what's great about the I'm kind of giving it away the surprise, but you go around the back of the Falcon and you can see everything under the ship. Um, here I'll show you. <laughs> so you're okay. walking. The line goes around here. And then goes inside a building and you start going up a ramp. Mm-hmm. But what you can't tell from the outside is there's a balcony up here. Okay. It goes uh, around and you get to see down at the top of the Falcon as well. Okay. So when you get into the attraction, you get into a room with Hondo. Uh, Hondo's there. The animated uh, or the animatronic Hondo is there. And in the background is a screen that represents, uh, I don't know the 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 hangar where the falcon will end up mm-hmm. so you hear it rumbling behind you where you just were in line and it rumbles above you comes up to the screen behind hondo and then you go in through that door into like a jetway that you would go to at a, at a uh, okay okay but you're not going up airport. the ramp that they go up in the film you're not going up the ramp okay it's almost as if they put a jetway one of those jetway things like at an airport uh, mm-hmm. up against the sort of uh like an airlock type uh, situation the, like. the, the side yeah. the side port here and you you walk in that way but smart I mean, way of getting around it's, it. it's 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 yeah it's it's magical i mean when you set foot on and see the chessboard and they let you wander and you can press yeah. every button in there and it does something um 
sitting at the chessboard is just like, yeah, we sat at the. I know this is the well, theme. Yeah. It's the theme park version, but still, it's like, and I'm sure the version you went on had like like studio lights and stuff above it. Well, no, it's actually you. In in some ways, you got a better experience than I did because we were there on a day that the set was dark, so none of it was lit up, right? So oh, like, we're at the cockpit, oh. but everything's dark. Like none of the yeah. lights are on. Right. I tried like hitting it like that, you know, but nothing <laughs> nothing worked. <laughs> But it's there. There, I mean, I've been watching this. I was three months old when Star Wars came out. I've been a fan my entire life, and sitting at a chessboard in the Falcon is like insane. And then going into the cockpit, and the way they have it set inside, set up inside, um, it it feels like a like a maze. So they might take you through sort of the 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 access panel closet, or they might take you through the main hallway or they may take you through the other side and it all eventually leads to the cockpit or a right. cockpit right so able to, to get people through but when you're standing there just staring and that cockpit opens oh i know it's the i know it's the theme park version but still like it wakens your 12 year old hits it wakens now, the thing is again i know because again i've not been but i know that there is like there's the there's the chair you don't want to get stuck in right there's like there's, there's like the pilot and the co-pilot but then there's like one in back that is not the best seat to be in is that but right the thing is when you're the when you're the pilot and the co-pilot you're so concentrating on what to do mm-hmm. you don't have the time to sit back and just enjoy it so when you're sitting in one of the back seats you just get to sit back and enjoy the fact right. that you're flying in you're the, in the Falcon. You still yeah. get to press some buttons, but it's like a it's like a it's like a you know a lab rat. Press this yeah. button when it turns green. Okay, I did that. Oh, this one turned green. Okay, I did the that. Best, the best the best experience I ever had like that was actually at the old Star Trek hotel at the Star Trek Hilton in Las Vegas. And if you ever remember yeah. doing this, I think they do a similar gag with Rise the the Rise of the Resistance ride now. But oh, it's, it's they have they have this thing was like you're, you're basically going on a tour of you know the star trek museum and they have like a timeline of the future zephram cochran invents the first warp drive and all this stuff first contact and you know blah 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 um and then they get to a point where you're all standing together like in this big circular area and then the lights go down and you hear this big whoosh and the transporter sound and then when the lights come back up you're standing on like the transporter pad in on the enterprise and it's like how the fuck did that just happen yeah and of course what they do is when the lights go down they're rotating everything around you and so yeah. the, the, the transporter room is always there. It's just mm. it's behind a wall and then they rotate the wall away. But the effect is like, oh, shit, you really do feel like you just beamed up. And the, I have a similar thing. There's a Starfleet officer. Come here. We got to get you. And they run you through. And then you're standing <laughs> on the bridge of the Galaxy Class Enterprise. Yeah. Super nerd chills. It was so yeah. cool. The Yeah. Rise of the Resistance has a similar thing where you do enter a transport. Right. One side. And right. you assume you're going to leave out the other side and do more star wars stuff but the same door opens up mm-hmm. and you're being stared down by like hundreds of stormtroopers right and it's and it it there's i i you know i don't i don't think i'll ever like if i get to be 77 years old like it's it, i'm still gonna be thrilled by star wars no matter what even if it's a you know there's still parts of the prequels that i you know didn't, don't like but guess what there's another thing coming next that I really do like. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like the prequels for being different. I do, you know, yeah, the force awakens, there's nothing new in it, but it kind of had to, by the way, that's not, those aren't my words. I never talk about the other movies. I'm just telling you what George said in the book. I totally get where George is coming from though. But at the same time, 
George was like, let's push this. Like the prequels, he went, he went a complete left turn, but it's great because it's, I would rather have new fresh star Wars. Um, but I do, I do like that comforting feeling. Rogue One gave me a comforting feeling. I mean, all I, completely new. It's funny. Yeah. I, a couple of things. First of all, I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> this, but I kind of feel, and I don't even really track like the Star Wars discourse that closely anymore. But I've got this sense wow. in the last couple of years that the prequels are kind of go, undergoing a bit of a reassessment right now, where people are kind of reconsidering them. Going, maybe they weren't that bad. Like, there's enough distance now yeah. you can kind of appreciate <laughs> them a little bit more. Everyone had that like, kind of like what the fuck is this when the movies first came out? Right. Cause they're so, so different. Um, But I don't know. I kind of feel like there's, again, there's a generation now that's grown up with them that appreciate them more. I do think they did some really um, interesting things. There are some genuinely like really cool moments, right. When Mm -hmm. I still remember the first, when um, Yoda first pulls the lightsaber out in this, in in attack of the clones and everyone's like, Holy shit. Like, this is what we wanted to (laughs) see. And then you're like, okay, but how's he actually going to fight? And then he's like fucking spinning around. He's like, Oh my God, that's how he would do it. It looks so cool. Like they actually pulled off some really amazing stuff. I still love how he takes out the Imperial Guards with just like that and they're like, just gone. They're nothing. Yeah. So much fun. And that's but something that we had been waiting for to see the Imperial Guards fight forever. Yeah, we right, always yeah. we had, we the, had the toy, we had the Kenna toy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, here they are. They're in this yeah. movie, we're in the same fight, and Yoda's like, no. Yeah, I think as well, like that that came from like the, the EU side of it where there was the the Crimson Empire comics where they were all badasses and like how people think of the Mandalorians now and everything. It's like no, they're just guards. They're just like other guys, and it's Yoda. So he is just going to flick his wrist, and they're going to be nothing. So no, it's good. Yeah, it's good loads stuff. of fun. And but, what's great uh, is you can draw the I, ships. The I do. Rem- I do remember the one thing I'll say about the, the first movie is this: I, I enjoyed when I first saw it. I enjoyed it thoroughly, um, and then after I started to kind of think, wait, I think I know why. I, like, I remember coming out like this feels like Star Wars. That felt like, that was mm-hmm. the thing. Like, can you make it feel like the old Star Wars? And my, I wasn't in the room because JJ came before me, but I kind of feel like JJ's philosophy, and this is why this will begin to, to make things right, was like the mission statement yeah. in the beginning was like, okay, so the prequels were kind of like this weird sushi that people like weren't ready for. People just want spaghetti and meatballs again. They want yeah. like Star yeah. Wars comfort food, and I'm gonna gi- and I'm gonna give you that. So it's gonna have it's gonna check all the boxes. Get them back and, in, but, basically. and they really did check them right. So you yeah. know, young, young dreamer on a, on a desert, desert planet finds secret rebel plans in a droid, uh, gets chased off the planet, escapes in the Millennium Falcon, gets chased around the galaxy by a dude in a black mask and a lightsaber, and at the end they blow up the Death Star, right? Like uh-huh. it's they, And an old mentor dies. Like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, but, I mean, they really did, like, check the boxes, and mm-hmm. that's why they initially you went, oh, yeah, it feels just like the, the old Star Wars, because it very much is the old Star Wars. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, arguably to a fault, it's really the old Star Wars. Yeah. But I um, love spaghetti I, and meatballs too. And, I, and again, <laughs> so, I think Ryan, and I think Ryan's movie was was a reaction to that. Like, I think you voted. I, I can't speak for Ryan, but my the philosophy of that film that I that I take from it as an audience member is I think you were too um, safe. Uh, yeah, you were too faithful mm-hmm. uh, to the to the original. You were too. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like you're too deferential to the mm-hmm. original. You've got to mm-hmm. move forward, and I'm going to try to move us forward. And then the third one was like, no, 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 let's let's go back, in. let's go back again. So it's, it's really, really interesting to see like the the, the movies kind of back uh, back and forth. I still think it's funny the one time in history that they were pretty much certain they were going to get to make all three films that they that there was no overarching overarching plan for all three films. It was like, right? It was like, it okay, is, now now you do the next wild. chapter. It's like, you know, that's and, and one of the Ryan's things like, that I think shines now when I watch the prequels 
is that it was George. George kind of had that plan, that three, that yeah. three uh, movie plan. And uh, I find that um, the more I watch him, the more I pick up on sort of there is some subtleties in there that uh, that I find intriguing. Now, you have and, to remember that the, the new trilogy was actually made in a way that's more like because, you know, you can talk about the Journal of the Wills and nine movies and all that stuff. But they, George, I promise you, George didn't know he was going to make the, the, the first movie could have just <laughs> been the first movie. And it would that would have been a natural end point. They blow up the Death Star. Maybe that's the maybe they've won now in the bigger picture. Yeah. But like, no, then the movie goes and becomes one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. George is like, oh, we, we, we have to do a second one. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. but oh, you blow up the Death Star, but the Empire is still out there and they get they get to keep telling the story. And thank God, because I love I love Empire and Jedi. But yeah, yeah, there was no there was no real plan, I don't think, to make three movies. No. If you remember when they, they had to scramble to make Empire because Island everyone had gone off to make Battlestar Galactica, right? And they had so, to find yeah, they, they had to, to crew up all, all over again. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, it's it's the heist movie, isn't it? It's, but instead of putting the crew together, it's putting the crew back together. Keep bringing them back. Yeah, we're putting the band back together. Yeah. 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 Um Gary, um, I think we've held up you your time for long enough at this point uh thank you so much for joining us ralph uh i don't know if you've got anything else that you want to ask uh before we wrap uh, up no just let's do some plugs let's uh yeah anything you yeah. want to bring up um uh when when this episode out. is coming out yeah uh your your new book gundog has just released Yes, the timing is uh, quite fortuitous. Well, it's not fortuitous. It's the reason I'm here. I'm, like I said, I'm completely <laughs> shameless. Um, there's a, when I work on something like Star Wars, uh, I have the luxury of knowing that there's going to be a multi-million dollar marketing machine behind it. And like the, the PR people just say, um, we, you, uh, block out Tuesday because you're going to do 30 interviews back to back, like rolling mm-hmm. calls with like with journalists from all over the world. And like it's all set up for you. And like, no, trust me, on, by the time Rogue One came out, nobody didn't know that Rogue One wasn't coming out, right? Because it was everywhere. Yeah. Uh, when I do something by myself, I don't have that luxury. So I do have this new book coming out called Gundog, which I'm really proud of. It's published, hold on, if we're doing video. Great. Yeah. How fortunate that I happen to have a copy yeah. uh, right here. Um, this is being published by a small independent publisher. The, the marketing budget is zero. It's just me kind of twisting the arms of my friends to try and get them to promote the book and coming on to every podcast that will have me. And yes, I will shamelessly trade on my time spent in the star Wars universe to come and talk to uh, find people like you and and plug my book. Um, It's really fun. If you liked the Jin Erso character, uh, Dakota Bregman, who's the protagonist of Gundog is a very similar uh, character. If you like giant mechs, I I grew up loving, loving the whole like Japanese subculture of Mecha, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, Gundam and uh, Macross and, and neon Genesis Evangelion and all that kind of stuff. I just love like big, massive walking tanks that kick the shit out of each other and it always amazed me that there wasn't really there's not really anything like that in western culture and people are like oh what about robot jocks robot jocks it was like 40 years ago <laughs> maybe pacific rim right because those are technically yeah. mechs right but they're fighting it's more of a kaiju movie i mean they're, yeah, they're really the guys are like this big compared to the right yeah um and so I, and so i wanted to do something that was like a tribute to the japanese mecha um culture that i love so much but to do a very very american version of it it's all set in the american midwest in the dakotas and and, and wyoming there yeah. you go what is who is that is that that's oh that's Kidora. okay yeah okay yeah, it's the, oh, it's oh mecca the, mecca, mecca Ghidorah. okay oh wow yeah. there you go there's a pilot there's a pilot in there's a pilot in there <laughs> there was there was a lot of back and forth about with something we were arguing about like what constitutes a mech and i'm like if, it, if it's if it's a if it's a weapon if it's a basically a giant mechanized weapon that walks on two legs and has a human pilot it's a mech 
Mm-hmm. If it's autonomous, it's just a giant robot. But like, so that's why you know technically the Jaegers and Pacific Rims, Pacific Rim are mechs, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do a mech story. Um, I wrote it as a novel. Um, very very hard to get stuff like that made as a as a film these days. Even like someone who, oh yeah, I've co-wrote a Star Wars movie. Would you like to make my next original science fiction movie? The answer is no. We don't. We yeah, want to right. make more Star Wars and more Marvel and more Harry Potter and more Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And more, Give us more the franchise. <laughs> Give yeah. us the franchises. Somehow forgetting that Star Wars started with somebody taking a risk on an original weird spec script, yep. right? Like yeah. Fast and the Furious. Every franchise starts somewhere. Every yeah. franchise starts with somebody taking a risk on an original idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. We seem to have forgotten that because now we just want to keep making the same shit that we've been hey, making the creators come years. In, the creators come just around the corner. I'm seeing the creator. And God bless Gareth for doing that, right? For making <laughs> yeah. original science fiction and not just jumping on the next fucking Hot Wheels the movie or whatever it is they're gonna they're gonna yeah. do next. Um, and so that's my my passion. I loved working on Star Wars, but my passion is to create my own original um ideas and stories from whole cloth and that's what gundog is very very difficult to get something like that made as a movie Mm. Uh, so i wrote it as a novel we also did our own audio book adaptation of it which is actually out right now if you're interested in reading the audio version uh we recorded that whole thing nine hours of audio with shannon woodward from hbo's westworld troy baker from the last of us full orchestral soundtrack and i put that out last year as um nine as as a nine hour episodic podcast that you you listen to all nine episodes it's the whole book yeah. And we just put that out for free just as an experiment to see what would happen. But if you want to read the book, essentially the same text, that is, yeah, that's out now. You can order it from Amazon. You can order it from Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever books are sold. Um, and I'm told it's doing quite well. We're already going back for a second printing. So um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm still waiting for my copy. I, I was lucky enough to get a, an advanced reader copy of it um, good. back when they first came out. I think Gary, I actually, uh, informed you that they were being distributed at the time. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. I, 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 I called the publisher, like, why don't I have and one of these? Out? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I got to read that one, so I've, I've read it and I loved it and I, I straight away sort of went and pre-ordered it. Uh, oh, good, I'm glad. It. Hopefully it arrives tomorrow, we'll see. Yeah, um, so... Um... They did a beautiful job with it. They let, they let me it's, pick the yeah. case. I did this really really obnoxious bright yellow. I wanted to do kind of like an industrial uh, kind of military, like yellow and black vibe for it. And they did a beautiful job with the cover. Really proud of it. First edition is going to run out really, really soon. I know, like I said, second print run, I think, starts today. Mm. So if you want to get a first edition that has a secret typo in it and might be worth something when I'm dead, <laughs> um, go, oh. go, grab it, go grab it now. G-U-N-G-O-D, all bookstores. Um, I'm really proud of it. And... Um, the funny thing about it now is that even though nobody wants to make um, movies and television out of original IP, this is kind of the mercenary part of my strategy is like establish the, and I hate even, even saying words like IP, like my, yeah. my big thing is like, I kind of feel like as soon as we started calling creative work content, it was over. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's just yeah. another widget. Now it's just another product that we can commoditize and sell. Whereas, you know, artists like to think of it in a completely different context uh, but the funny thing about it is, like, for me, this is already a win, right? Like, this book this book is on shelves. People can read it. I hear from people every day who have enjoyed it. But guess what? Now it is actually a piece of IP. Now it's a book. Now it's a, a podcast that was really successful. And if the book is a big seller as well, then now suddenly people go, oh, could we make a movie out of this? And, like, you have to kind of, like, do it backwards now. It's really yeah. interesting. Um, but even if even if, like, a screen version of it were to never happen – the book is on shelves and like, that's all I want to do is like get stories in front of you have been able to tell, tell the story yeah, that in, you wanted to tell in, what, yeah. in whatever. Yeah. And that's the thing. No one messes with me when I write a book as well. Yeah. It was really, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. When I wrote my first book back in 2015, I came to that from a culture of working as a screenwriter where when you're given notes, the unwritten kind of subtext of the note is 
do these notes or we'll find someone who will, right? They'll, <laughs> they'll just find another writer if you don't agree with the changes that need to be made or if they're not happy with how you implement the changes. Whereas when I got notes back from my editor, I was like, I thought most of the notes were great. But every now and again, I would flag one and come back and say like, um, I don't agree with this note. What am I supposed to do? And she was like, don't do it. It's your book. Don't do it. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't get fired. She's like, what are you talking about? And of course not. I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. So I want to write more books because I get to, you know, like Rogue One, I'm really proud of, but I I wouldn't put a percentage on it. But like a lot of things in there are mine. Like if you liked Vader's castle on Mustafar, if you liked the whole business with, oh, it was the father that deliberately engineered the floor into the Death Star. If you liked some other things. That I, put I think in I saw like, yesterday, was it, or the other day on Twitter, uh, you saying it all started with this about. A yeah. Oh, yeah. If you, if you yeah. like the if you like the Death Star dish being inserted into the thing, um, a lot a lot of it is is mine. If you like the, the, the opening sequence with like, a, a lot of it is mine, but a lot of it yeah. isn't. Um, people say to me sometimes, oh, my favorite characters are Chirrut and Bays. And I always say, well, you should go tell Chris White's that because those are his characters. He put those in after I left. It's a collaborative uh, so, medium. Yeah, and it is. Like, somebody said to me the other day, like, did you create K2SO? And, it's, and, and the answer is kind of yes and no. Like John Knoll originally came up with the idea of K2SO. I was, and he was originally just a rebel logistics droid. It looked like, he looked like C, C-3PO, but like shiny black metal. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, it might be interesting. What if he was an Imperial <laughs> droid that had been captured from the Empire and then reprogrammed to, to, to work for the rebels? And so yeah. he became that. And then my, my thing was, like, oh, I think he would be really, like, mouthy because, like, he's tight. He used to take orders from the Empire, but now he can say whatever he wants because the rebels are, like, much, have, a, have a much more forgiving HR department, I think, than the, re- <laughs> than the Empire. Yeah, I'd say so. So <laughs> he would mouth off a lot. And then Chris and subsequent writers came on and, you know, added to that and made his dialogue even better and more funny. And then Alan Tudyk comes in, right, and then performs him and gives him a voice and gives him motion and gives him life. And then ILM and Hal Hickel make the, animate the eyes and make the eyes come to life. So, like, the, the answer, like, who created H, uh, K2SO is, like, so many different people. Yeah. He has so it many different It takes a village ads. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's, that's what it's like in film. So, but for that reason, I, on, I only feel like I have, like, partial ownership of things like that. But with something like Gundog or, or Book of Eli which I, I can say that's all mine. Like if you, yeah. I'll take all of the credit or, and all of the blame for something you liked or didn't like. And that's, it's nice to be able to do that. Mm. Right. Well, you said, you said, I, I'm a huge fan of film music. So having a score for the audiobook and me not being a strong reader, um, I'm definitely going to be picking Austin, up Austin version. Wintery, who's a friend of mine who wrote some of the, the some of my favorite video game soundtracks went and put together like a full orchestra and recorded like an hour and a half of music. Wow. We actually put out a digital awesome. soundtrack album for it. Cause it's so cool. Um, but yeah, if you're like the whole reason why I discovered the, the idea of having to do the audio book, the original plan was me to self publish the book. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, shit, I have to do an audio book as well because my wife listens to audible all the time. She listens to audio books all the time, like three books a week. Um, and I, I learned through that, that like fully one third of all books that are sold are sold in audio format. So it's, it's a massive, part of the market huge, yeah. so, well, shit, i have to do audio yeah, yeah. So, well it's audio right how hard can it be well turns out if you want to do something good like anything it's really fucking hard to do good audio yeah but it was again during the pandemic there were actor friends were sitting around and shannon and, and troy um volunteered all of their time and a, and a podcast that probably would have cost me 50 or 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to do with that level of talent cost me almost nothing because they just did it for fun That's um, great. but if you like yeah if you if your preference is to listen to a book rather than um uh, rather than sit down and kind of read it on paper or on a screen, 
uh, like I said, yeah, it's already there and it's and it's free and it's a really good because Shannon really like she doesn't just read the book like she performs it. Mm. Um, and Troy plays the the bad guy in it, and the music is beautiful. And we added like an ambient soundtrack, and it's I think it's like audiobook plus. So I definitely would recommend it. almost like a radio yeah. drama. Yeah, yeah, well, that's we actually the funny thing is we actually did when we when we first debuted it. I, I broadcast every episode live on my Twitch channel with a live chat listening. So it was like people were reacting. Oh, oh shit. Like when plot twists oh. would happen. And then I would do like a discussion author Q and a book club thing at the end. Um, so we, we got it out there in an, in an original way. So it's an experience. You try new things. I'm, when we put it out this Definitely. way, like yeah, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't expect to make much money from Gundog and probably never will, but it was fun just to do something like, Hey, COVID sucks. Life is shitty right now. Here's a bunch yeah. of content for free. Yeah. Oh, I'll use the word content. Content. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a bunch of creative work for free. Um, and it was, yeah, it's just, it's just nice to get things out into the world in mm. an, in an industry yeah. where it's increasingly hard to do that in, in Hollywood. I can't even work right now. Right. Because the business right. is so fucked. Yeah. Um, and when we, and we have no, and we don't even have any idea what the landscape's going to be like when we go back to work, mm, it's kind of like COVID, right? Mm-hmm. The world that we went back to was not the one that we left. Right. It's a different, yeah, right. different normal now. And I yeah. think when we when we all come back to Hollywood, whether that's before the end of the year or I think probably more likely next year at this point, it's going to be a different world because the strike, I think, is just a symptom of a much bigger existential crisis that the, that the Hollywood is going through right now. Well, they, they put billions into streaming without doing any of the math. Right. Mm-hmm. And now they're going, oh, shit, this isn't working and nobody knows what to do. So. God knows what's going to happen next. And so, you know, maybe I'll just write books from now on. <laughs> well, I mean, we're definitely rooting for the, the strike to be resolved. and Sooner resolved. rather than yeah, later. Absolutely. Uh, I've got some friends in the industry as well, not in the writers or actors guilds or anything, but who are really worried about the their work drying up as well. Uh, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it affects like everyone else. Influences, there's a lot of work that they can't do. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you think about like all the like carpenters and gaffers and like the people that actually make the movie, they're all sat down. Mm. Um, it sucks. And, you know, it's all because Jeff Bezos wants a slightly bigger yacht. And, yeah. you know, that's not, that's bullshit. That's not cool. You've got <laughs> enough. Like, it, and uh, you see the it's numbers, obscene but... right Obse- it's, it's obscene yeah. like uh, do, do, do they do they never go okay that's enough i'm rich enough like i can't possibly ever spend this much money like, the world doesn't need billionaires uh, i i quite yeah. i quite agree yeah yeah, yeah. right it's, it's turning into a political podcast now but that's that's all good <laughs> um, i'm glad that we got to mention it though i am glad that no i'm to... uh, yeah. yeah it's you can't not mention it it's yeah. it, it is what it is yeah. and it's really i talk to writers every day that are so depressed we just want to go back to oh, wow. work yeah. but the current conditions are un- unsustainable and it's just a question yeah. of like how much how much pain and misery and suffering are the amptp willing to put themselves because you know they've you know they've already they've already, like warner brothers discovery put up a quarterly loss that is way more than everything the wga have asked for yeah so they would rather inflict pain on themselves than admit that they need us Mm -hmm. charlie kaufman gave a great uh speech at the um at the writers guild awards recently i think he won some kind of lifetime achievement or something and he he talked about this a lot and said hollywood hollywood exists on the idea of you know of convincing us that we need them but the Mm -hmm. truth is they can they can create nothing of value without us Mm-hmm. And they're feeling that right now because there's no new fall television. Get ready for a lot of reality TV and sports and reruns this fall because there ain't no new fall TV coming yep. on the networks. And you know the streamers have more stuff obviously you know, piled up than that. Everyone's got a backlog, 
but that's going to run out too. And you're already no- seeing delays of things start yeah. to be yeah. announced. It doesn't yeah. resolve soon. Get ready for the first big summer with no movies. Yeah. Right. There's going to be yeah. no new movies in theaters. Like it's mm-hmm. unsustainable. Yeah. All right. Anyway. But it's yeah. nice to see everyone sort of holding the line, essentially, like and just like stand by it. Get get what you deserve. Absolutely. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know why they still think they're going to break the resolve of the guild at this point because it is absolutely unbreakable. Like it's Good. not going to yeah. happen. So, right. well, it's just a question of it can only resolve one way. It's just a question of if it's sooner or later. When? Yeah. 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 It's, and it's I feel just, like the rip, public's rip. behind the unions. Oh my god! And they hired like a crisis PR firm. Like that's and that ain't working. It's just just rip the band aid <laughs> off. It's such a tiny. It's like point zero two percent of their yeah, earnings. Something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, let's wrap I like it up. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is great. Um, Wars Gary, is great. the way that we we end this episode, I I say something. Ralph says. Oh, something, we're gonna do this. And then, yeah, why not? Um, and then if it's just the two of us, I I'll sign it off. It's normally uh, with punch it at the end but you can say whatever you want if you would love to do it, it we'd really enjoy what do you uh, want you me to do just to say punch it uh, i'll say something ralph will say something and then if you want to say punch it or whatever else you want instead of that uh that'd be great that'll um, send okay. us off that'll send us that'll off. that'll send us off uh, can i can i get can i give you can i give you a longer version yeah, yeah go for it. don't give it to hate celebrate the love I hope the old man got that tractor beam out of commission or this is going to be a real short trip. Okay, hit it.